Hello there, I'm Kevin McStay, and you're listening to the To The Point Podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of the To The Point Podcast with me, Kean McNicholas. Brought to you by our new official sponsors at Soma Sportswear, where you can buy some exceptional quality sportswear and activewear if you go to the website at www.sumasportswear.eu. And you can also find them on social media at Soma Europe. That is S-U-M-M-A Europe. Now, on today's episode, I chat to RTE's Sunday Game pundit, Kevin McStay, and all things from his career in the Army, playing for Mayo, managing Roscommon to a Connacht title and much, much more. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Mr. Kevin McStay. So, I'll ask you to start yourself off, kind of give your own intro. So, do you mind telling people in your own words who you are and what you do? Who I am and what I do. Okay. Well, thankfully, I have a very varied life. Um, There was a stage when I uh, had one keen interest and focus, which was my military career. But since I've retired from the army, uh, I've done lots of different things. And presently, uh, I'm pretty much doing four things. uh, I'm contracted to work with RTE Sport uh, to cover the GA season, uh, both as a pundit or an analyst, and also I do quite a bit of co-commentating, which is to help out the commentator describe what's happening and maybe help the the viewer to understand it a little bit better. Uh, that's that's what I set out to do. Whether I do that or not, I don't know, but um, that's uh, my RT um, work. I also write uh, a weekly column for the Irish Times every Tuesday where I look back or look forward to the GA events that may interest us uh, or I might go off on a solo run altogether and just pick a topic that interests me and write it in a way that might interest the reader. Um, I also, uh, during the academic year, uh, teach uh, higher level mathematics to Leavenser students and junior cert students uh, in Roscommon Town and the hinterland, all the, all the villages around the place, uh, which I have a deep passion for I really really love doing um, and I've been at that now for about nine years since I ret- well eight years since I retired and we're getting revved up now in two or three weeks time to throw the ball in again and another academic year will swing back into action um, so that's what I do that's how I uh, spend my 12 months um, it's a nicer a nicer pace of life than I had previously when I was in the military and you could be stationed in different places around the country and indeed overseas service was um, was an aspect of, of life in the army back then as well. So I'm very, very, very um, relaxed, very comfortable now in what I do uh, and I love the work I do. I'm in that very happy position, Kean, that I hope you will always be in, is that I love, I love my work, I love uh, going to work and I love doing the things that people are uh, people want me to do, uh, and I'm very privileged in many respects to have the work that I have. Hmm, brilliant. And I'll just start off with a quick game to kind of ease into the questions. So we we'll get straight to it. We we'll get to the point, as a, as it says in the name. Um, Mayo v Dublin this week. You're going working on it, as you say. You're, as you said there. How do you feel it going? What are your thoughts? What are your opinions on it? 
Oh, that's a short enough question, but the answer could go on forever there, Keen. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, I like, I've, I, I'll summarize it in a couple of lines that I've been using in the podcast. You know, the podcast that I've been doing recently have been maybe an hour long, but you could summarize everything we're saying um, perhaps in the following way. Um, may or up against it. Mm. They're against the greatest champion team in the history of the game. And champions are very difficult to dislodge. And Dublin will be very, very difficult to dislodge on Saturday night. Uh, Mayo uh, travel with a lot of hope, uh, rightly so. Um, but if I'm being uh, ruthless about it, uh, in the absence of any critical evidence from Dublin that they're super, super duper 2021 team, You'd be thinking, maybe they're falling back a bit. But then there's no convincing evidence from Mayo that they're ready to beat them either. So it is a it is a very tight call. And in the absence of any critical evidence, I think you have to go and give the nod to the reigning champions. Um, and yet, I would have no sense that there would be any type of surprise for anybody, should Mayo win the match on Saturday night. But overall, I think there's one aspect to it that I, I, I keep coming back to. It's actually something I read in the Mayo News. Mike Finnerty tumbled upon it. If you compare Dublin 2020 to, what, seven months later, Dublin in the Leinster final against Kildare, they had 11 of the same team on duty that a few weeks ago, two weeks ago against Kildare as they had against us in December. And the four players that they now have added on, in the meantime, obviously Cluxton is gone and the likes of, likes of these guys. The four players they added on were Brian Howard, Cormac Costello, uh, Young McMahon, and Owen Merchant. Now, come on. Not a bad four. Point. No. So, and yet we're trying to argue here in Mayo. I'm down on holidays um, in Mayo, and when we're chatting over coffee, we're trying to argue that Dublin have fallen back a bit. But you're, look at who look who we've lost since last December, and there's no comparison. So if you're being ruthless about it, you'd say, well, in fact, Mayo have been the team that personnel-wise have fallen back. Um, so that's kind of that kind of jolts you back into reality, and the reality is it's going to take a gigantic effort by Mayo to um, to win this game, and I give a nod, I think a deserving nod to Dublin. By a couple of points doesn't it doesn't please me to do it but you know i want to be fair in my answer to everybody i um that's my that's my sense of it you know what day is today today is wednesday and that's my sense of it three days out and um not uh, you know i don't see anything changing between now and saturday uh, mm. to alter that but you never know championship is a funny old game and someday somebody's going to beat them they're not going to go on forever um i'm going to be incredibly appropriate if we were the team that after all our pulling and scraping with them over the years that we would be the team to finally finish it but I, I I think it's yeah I think it's Dublin by a couple of points but what is your opinion on that Mayo team we want to focus on it's young it's vibrant it's fresh what's your overall thoughts on it it is all those things you're right I put in another one it's also emerging mm. I don't think it's arrived um, I think Mayo 
are being ranked and rated in the 21 season because of youth. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, I think the Ushid Mullins um, of this world, the Tommy Conroys, the Ryan O'Donoghue's, these sort of young footballers, um, Matt Ruan, Connor Loftus, they're the ones that are giving Mayo people real optimism and real um, a real sense that the future is bright and this and the future is assured perhaps um because they're excellent young footballers like we had, we had the three nominations for the young footballer of the year last year that's 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 unreal uh so the players these young players that are giving us all a lot of opti- optimism are are actually top class young players um but they're still emerging their time hasn't come they're only 22 23 years of age 25 26 is the mature time that's not to say they couldn't go off and win the whole thing. That that can happen too. But my opinion of Mayo is that they've, if the word is transitioned, they've uh, maybe turn it around is a better way. They've, they've just turned around the team very quickly. From the old team to the new team, it's done and we've moved on very, very quickly, which is great. Um, so my, my opinion is that Mayo are an emerging team, whereas... Dublin could be, probably are most likely a disappearing team for now. I think I, I think the graphs are going in the Mayo's graph is 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 an improving one. It's you know it's it's moving upward. The Dublin graph has probably plateaued, probably mm. I think, um, and they will have to enter some period of of renewal. Um, but I don't think that's just quite yet. Interesting. I want to move on to what's your opinion, what's your thoughts on the media landscape at the moment? You mentioned you do a bit for the Irish Times, you do your RT sport work, you're you're very well involved in the media, so you're probably a good man to ask about it. It's a broad question. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to focus in on, on what it is um you want you want me to, to talk about. I mean I can talk obviously about uh the television, um landscape uh, but how it has is, evolved because it's changing all the time through digitalization and everything you're on a podcast earlier at RT RT didn't have a podcast let's say 10 years ago about sports you know what I mean that kind of aspect okay yeah uh, and, and I did a, a, a Mayo News podcast last mm-hmm, night exactly a few, a few hours after the RT one and I'm doing your one now um, that's that. that's the new part of the game that you know a couple of years ago I almost think of these podcasts as having arrived almost with COVID. I think there was nothing else to do, so everyone got stuck into podcasts. But there's obviously uh, a desire out there to perhaps monetize it. You know, these podcasts are getting very big followings. Uh, It it could be the future. It could be the future uh, in terms of... uh, It could could be a a very viable business model, depending on, you know, if you get enough followers, enough numbers. Mm. If someday some there's twenty thousand people following your podcast, Kean, and you decide to charge them a small sum of money, well, twenty thousand units multiplied by anything is a nice is a nice uh, sum of money. Um, so I can see the potential of it. The podcast is a very nice, easy listen for a lot of people in the car if they were a commute, or indeed if they have a long journey, if they're if they're into it, if they're anoraki and they like listening to this sort of stuff. Um, it's a you know a forty-five minute. 60 minute uh, chat it's kind of a little like a pub chat perhaps mm. and maybe that's the attractive part of it but i think there's always going to be a place for serious news and serious analysis or deep analysis 
And, you know, I, I think the the paper industry, the newspaper industry in Ireland in particular, um, is very healthy. Not Perhaps not in terms of sales, but certainly in terms of content. I think there's some fantastic Irish journalists out there that, you know, I love reading. Um, quite a few of them are with the paper of my choice, the, the, the Irish Times. You know, I think they have just fantastic sports journalists right across, not just the GA lads, who, who are excellent, but right across, um, independent, um, uh, the Star, uh, the Mail, etc., et Sunday Times. They're, they're like it's really, really top class writing and analysis from from them. I love reading them. I, I'm a voracious reader of the newspapers, and I'm still predominantly the paper version, even though I have online access i prefer just having the newspaper in my hand i like to have a, a pen and a highlighter and something that's interesting me a nice phrase or a nice uh, um, fact that i wasn't aware of i, I like to pinpoint those i, I like to re- re- read through them the television side of it is just ultra competitive as you know um and uh there's a lot of people that want to get into the game uh, in the commentary game i'm sure you're an example of a young man who, who has aspirations to go in into the media game, the communications game. So it's a tough game out there. There's there's no question about it. I suppose the, the downside for me is that it's just, it's it never turns off. You know, you just couldn't read enough to stay up enough to be up to speed enough. There's just, it's constant. And there are so many opinions out there. Um, there's so many people looking for a, for a new angle, which becomes really, really difficult. I tried to find something new to talk about or to to write about or to analyze is just difficult because is there I sometimes I wonder if there's an original thought left in this game um because we all seem to have covered just about everything that that that, that goes on so it's look the 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 media game in in Ireland is is healthy as far as I can see um the people that are you know that are are good at it produce top product uh, in my mind anyway maybe i would say that because i'm part of it but i you know i'm i'm in in at production meetings i'm you know talking back to to producers and editors and directors of programs and people that mentor your 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 columns and stuff like that and i know the standard is sky high i I know that and they don't they don't accept uh second best um because you know they're, they're paying you money to produce good content and that's that's the standard that's out there um so it's it's a very enjoyable game but I, the only downside is what i find is if i if i'd one whinge or bitch about it is if i give an opinion say to you on this podcast hmm. that somebody else can look in some other media outlet can look in dip in and pick out whatever it is they want out of it and uh, put a new headline on it and rerun it as I want. They'll they'll attribute it to to you, all right. You know, in a you know, be a little bracket in a discussion with Keen McNicholas or something, and they'll reproduce four or five hundred words um, of something that somebody else went and did the hard yards on yourself, namely, and they'll put a new headline on it and they'll throw it into a local paper or a national paper, and. They'll blow it up to be, you know, to put a new headline on it and they'll only take the bit out of this one hour, 45 minute chat we're going to have. They'll take the bit that's um, maybe mildly controversial or something that next day is said on it. I find that uh, just yeah. irritating. 
you know, and it's one of the reasons a lot of the time is I'm, I'm just not going to bother doing that because you don't, you know, sooner I've given a strong opinion, then it'll be pulled out of context and thrown onto some, some other me- media. But that's the thing. Do you find yourself when you go on these podcasts holding back as a result of that? Well, I hope not, Keen. I'm not that sort of person. I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable in my own skin in, in that kind of, I hope I reflect on the questions you ask me and that I have enough mm. information in my head to be reasonably well informed so that the answer I give you is is a straightforward answer. I'm like, I don't have an agenda. I, I, I know I don't, even though some people might argue that. I, 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 I don't care who wins the All-Ireland, even though I'd love if Mayo won it. But uh, I, I wouldn't prefer to see Kerry win it compared to Dublin, compared to Armagh, compared to Tyrone. It doesn't, that doesn't bother me. What, you know, what I want to, what I want to see and what I, what I want to talk about is what's before my eyes, you know, the, the evidence yeah. of my own eyes. So I, I hope I've, you know, in, in I, I'm nearly quarter of a century now at this, this game. I hope that most weeks I've, I've been true to myself and, if I have an opinion about something, I'll say it. I, I'm, I'm certainly uh, not constrained by anybody. I, I don't believe I am anyway. Um, hmm. The only thing that constrains me sometimes, I'm, I might be a little bit um, reticent if I'm not fully informed about something. I just I don't like giving opinions about something I'm not particularly well informed on. So I tend to hold back on that. But like I said to you, I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I, I like networking and understanding what's going on or what different... Uh, events. What 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 what's the context of of different events that are happening? So, generally speaking, I'm quite well informed. And if you're well informed, if you if you have your research done and your work done, well, I think you can give very valid opinions then and back it up with the evidence of your own your own research. Yeah. So I I think you know whatever you're going to throw at me here tonight, you know you'll get back what I think of it. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, more personal question. What has been the past year and a half like for yourself personally with this whole COVID-19, lockdowns, return to play? You're obviously covering that back in November, December. What was that like? Um, well, there's two aspects. There's your personal life to it and how, how things are going family-wise and then the sporting side of it. So family-wise, we were all at home. I have three grown-up uh, girls, um, uh, two of them working. Uh, the workforce the other girl was finishing her finals uh, so we were all at home in us common working from home um so there was a lot of wi-fi <laughs> being used up um uh, and that was pretty much the scene for the guts of a year i'd say and then the girls started moving back to their workplaces uh, and so on my eldest girl emma she had to go she had to go off teaching of course um so you know covid didn't change a whole lot for them mm-hmm. um they went out they were almost front line, I would say. Um, and that toddled along nice. And I, you know, the five of us got on fine. Uh, my wife was in charge of the house. Uh, we, we ate very well. Um, we watched a lot of Netflix. We read a lot of books. Um, we had a lot of fun. We were in each other's company for, you know, probably we'll never, we'll never have this sort of long time together again. So we really enjoyed each other's company. Um, we drank a lot of coffee. Um, yeah, and we had a lot of fun, and uh, and we all stayed healthy. None of us, mm. none of us got got COVID. We were very, very careful. We didn't go out much. That's the truth. Um, and then the football season rolled around, rolled along. Didn't we have the club season first? We did, yeah. We did, yeah. So, so RT were covering a lot of the club matches. So, like, I was in so privileged 
be able to get into my car in Roscommon and drive to wherever those games were and rock up uh, and and do the co-commentary or the little bit of analysis that was required or whatever. So it was studio work. Um, and that was just brilliant because my friends couldn't leave Roscommon. They couldn't get out of the house, essentially. And here was here was the, the, the game of football getting me back out on the road again. And then, excuse me, it went on into the inter-county season. And, you know, I end up um, doing my first ever co-com of an All-Ireland final with my own county in it, which was a fantastic experience. You, you, you know that Martin Carney used to do it for years and years. Um, so to to take over for Martin and do one was, was class. And um, uh, to be out to be out in the open and privileged to be at these matches was just, you know, when nobody from Mayo could get to these games, I was there perched up in a lovely seat uh, watching it all unfold and commentating on it with, with, with um, one of your previous guests, Joe Canning. And that brought us into January and kind of lockdown got a grab on again and the leagues didn't really take off and all that stuff. We were nearly back to square one. And it's been a kind of a repeat now. You know, we're back up now with the inter-county season, and that's near near it, near an end now. And I guess there'll be a bit of club, club war, club um, uh, TV, I imagine, and radio will cover the club scene quite closely now as well. So the eighteen months, two years, I don't know what it is now. Eighteen months have not been an ordeal by any means, Keen. Not for not for my family. Um, we've got through it, and you know, and lucky, and thank thank our stars that we have um, compared to a lot of the stuff people have, people have had to go to. And while, while we were all locked up at home, I was able to, as I say, jump in the car and go off to football games. So like how bad? Hmm. Yeah. It's not, not a bad lockdown. If you're, if you're able to do that. Um, I want to start off with your early career. So at the age of 19, if Wikipedia serves me right, you start in the army. So, I hope you don't mind me asking, but why the army? Yeah, well, first thing I'm going to chastise you is for using Wikipedia as your <laughs> research organ. So, when you when you get to uh, third level and uh, you, you're uh, using Wikipedia, your professor or your teacher, he'll, uh, he'll hang you. Um, <laughs> but it's right. <laughs> it was 19. And uh, why did I join the army? Um, well, there's a couple, couple of reasons, actually. Um, I was in school in St. Charlotte's in Tume, and there was uh, a small tradition building up there of lads senior to me and um, lads that I knew were you know, good footballers, Galway footballers, um, Angus Murphy, God rest him, Sean Webb, uh, he was a Mayo lad, uh, Mike Brennan, these sort of players. Um, they were all going off to the army, and I, I had a sense that that could be an interesting job. In my head, I thought it might be some sort of a professional sports outfit I was heading to where I could train and practice sport all day. The, the reality was a bit different. Um, that was definitely one reason. Um, the other reason was that there just wasn't too many decent jobs, you know, around the scene in 1980, 81, 82. And um, I was struggling to, to, to make a start. I was 19. I'd, I was out of school a year at that stage. I'd gone to Galway, to the regional college in Galway, and I was just drifting around. And I suppose my parents were anxious that um, I would get something solid. And um, my mother saw the advertisement and encouraged me to go for it. 
and and I did, and uh, and very lucky to get it. it. Was big numbers in those days, uh, but it was a tough game. You know, it was you know, <laughs> she, my, I would say she had a few um, difficult days convincing me that I should get the train back to the Curra, put it that way. But um, I stuck at it and got through the cadetship about a year and a half. It was a very tough year and a half in my life. I wouldn't want to repeat it. Um, uh, yeah, it was a, it, it was a tough place uh, to be, but it was a, a magnificent career for, I suppose, 33 years or so I spent in the military. Yeah, but the beginning beginning of it is tough. Uh, there's no no such thing as an easy cadetship, and um, I I I wouldn't say I was in love with it, but it was a job. It's all you know. I was from Mayo. There wasn't a whole lot of other work to be got around the place. Um, civil service, bank, army guards that type of thing and whatever you got you had a cut at it and what was your biggest highlight of the 30 plus years in the military oh that's a good question um and i think most most guys in the military will answer the way i'm going to answer i'm pretty sure they would uh it was my overseas service so i did um i did two trips to lebanon uh one as the lieutenant uh and one as a captain uh, I was in charge of a platoon each time, which is about 25, 30 men, um, and uh, men and women. And um, that was hugely satisfying. And then when I was uh, promoted to commandant, which is kind of the same rank as a major, stay in the mm. English Army, um, I went to a city just outside a city called Pristina in Kosovo, which would be. Uh, part of the former uh, Yugoslavia, kind of a break off from it. And um, I spent seven months there in charge of a company. Again, you know, that would be maybe 60 or 70 men in it, uh, men and women in it. And uh, it was just hugely satisfying, Keen, to be out there in a foreign land, I suppose, doing the things that you're trained to do in the army that you don't get a chance to show that you can do when you're in Ireland, because obviously... Mm-hmm. We're not at war. It's not a it's not a a peace and a peace enforcement or a peacekeeping arena here in Ireland. It's very much um, uh, low key soldiering. You know, helping civil powers here on and you know whether there's bank escorts or that type of thing, prisoner escorts, whatever. Uh, it's low key enough here in Ireland. But when you when you go overseas, you're now going to put into action what it is uh, you spent all your life learning and i found that hugely satisfying i was with great people um i had great soldiers uh, my superiors were class people to deal with and to work with uh, and it was just a very 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 good environment the overseas military environment i really enjoyed it that was definitely the highlight of my of my career what was the main take from it i suppose the ability teamwork i suppose would be the main that mm. you 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 know you have to get on with people um, standards standards have to be very high um, and that you know you have to be careful about things there's huge responsibilities like if you're in charge of well, when I was a young a young officer when I was in charge of 25 men you have to understand that we all want to get home safe and sound nobody wants to be you know no one wants to die in a different land for 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 silly reasons everybody wants to get home to their girlfriend or their wife or their family um that's a lot of responsibility i 
would have taken that very, very seriously. Um, and thankfully, on the three three missions I was on, the, the, the three groupings I had, we, we all got home safe and sound. Um, yeah, that's that, that the big the big takeaway is that you know you can't do anything on your own. You can't do a big project on your own. You need you need teamwork and you need you need good people around you. And maybe that is the best thing I took from it. That you know if you surround yourself with good people, you'll get the job done. You know if you've good people in, in on your team who are you know well intentioned and are keen to make something work. They're positive. They're energetic. They're enthusiastic. You know, if you can keep out the the negative drainers out of your team, you have a great chance of achieving whatever it is you want to get done. Um, so positivity, I think, as you know, would be a big part of what what I what I'm about as a person. I always see the thing working out pretty well. You know, if the work done, you're well prepared, and you have a fighting chance. Yeah, I always like to think I'll fall out on the right side, and. Um, yeah, teamwork, getting on with people, that's the biggest part of it. So did that military background set you up for brilliant correlations with management in inter-county management? You had the leadership skills, you had the teamwork skills, and you had the experience of being a major, being a captain of, of work with 50, 70 men, women, and managing these people. How did that correlate? Well, very closely, obviously. But, you know, it, it's not it's not a problem perfect transition you know like bear in mind the difference is you've command of your troops you know um these are lawful orders that you issue and they must be obeyed you know uh, and the people under your command understand that uh, and if you say you want somebody somewhere at 10 o'clock in the morning the expectation is that they will okay. be there in, in, in a civilian environment there's there's no law um backing up the orders and the ideas that you have. So I think you have to lead by example then and make, encourage people to want to do what you think is, is good for the group. Um, but of course there was massive experience and crossover from the, from the military, but it, it would be wrong to think that you can have an absolute template and it's that you can treat people the way in an ordinary civilian environment or a football environment, uh, the way things might or operate or work in a military environment, but there are, of course, a lot. There's so much commonality, and and also it gives you great confidence around people, Keen, that um, you understand, you find out how people tick, find out how to deal with problems, with issues. Uh, you know when to cut someone a bit of slack if they're under pressure, or you know when somebody needs a help, and you need to give them a dig out, or you need to give them a bit of space and back off a bit. Uh, that's all there. Uh, so yeah, of course the army gave me huge, um, confidence and uh, knowledge around all those areas. But, but my upbringing, you know, my, the influence of my parents and my uncles and, uh, you know, people that mentored me, say in Ballina Stevenites and when I was a young player growing up, they all had big contributions. My, my teachers, uh, my primary school teachers, uh, and secondary they they all made big inputs in shaping, you know, the sort of person I end up being. Um, and you know, you, remember, you're not perfect. There's there's nobody perfect. We all have our have our failings. But like, you try to be the best best you can be. Is I know that's a bit cliched, but 
that's what you that's what you try to be hmm. and how did you manage the commitments being a young army officer with your obviously playing for Mayo at that stage as well well when I was playing for Mayo I was single I was a single hmm. man I wasn't married um, and the two of them seemed to dovetail very very naturally uh, we were so keen and passionate to play for Mayo it seemed like the only thing I ever wanted to do it was my you know I was it was my dream come true to play for Mayo I wanted to play for Mayo since I was a small boy and um, you know I was very I was very lucky to to get to play for Mayo when I was 15 or 16 with the, at the Ted, Ted Webb series and uh, and so on then into into senior so I, I had a nice transition a pretty seamless transition to playing for Mayo I, I had certain ideas and dreams about how I was going to do it and pretty much that's the track I followed and um in my 20s, I just, yeah, I love playing for Mayo. We had a very good team. Uh, we were competitive. We were in and around winning things and in and around losing things, you know. So we were, we were there most years. Um, not never, never, never dominated or won the big one, but we were always, you know, we were never too far away from it. And, uh, I really loved that. And, uh, unfortunately, I got two very bad injuries that uh, shortened my career. Um, and I, that is that is a regret, even though I was probably coming, well, certainly the group I was with was coming near an end. But I feel like I could have squeezed maybe a couple more years out of it uh, if I had stayed healthy. And at the same time, I'm not sure, you know, if push came to shove, when when my, the team I started with was beginning to break up, I'm not sure if I'd have stayed around anyway. But there's, you know, I it's nothing but good memories. Nothing, nothing but good memories. Um it worked out pretty much the way I thought it would work out, except we didn't win the All Ireland. That was the only missing piece. Yeah. And uh, but we gave it a good shot. We gave it a good shot, and it was hugely enjoyable. You know, by my Mayo time, just like in my twenties, I was single. We had a lot of fun. We played a lot of football. We really enjoyed each other's company. And pity if it was, it was just all over fast. Yeah. You mentioned there two bad injuries, two leg breaks. How tough are they to come back from? I mean, the first one in 88, how tough is that to come back from? And then the second one in 90, and then you had to call it a day from then. Yeah, uh, they're tough. They were tough because I was, I was, um, the first time, um, first time was 87, I think. See, there's Wikipedia for you. The fr- and uh, the, uh, the first one was um, <laughs> 80, 87. Uh, hang on, no, you might be right. Let's see. Uh, no, the first one was eighty-seven. Yeah, and uh, I was only—I um, was only twenty, coming twenty-three. Let's see, eighty-seven. I was coming twenty-five, maybe. Hmm. I was twenty late twenty. Yeah, uh, and uh, just gone twenty-four actually, twenty-four and a bit in. And uh, um, it was a setback, but it—you know—it was just, to my mind, a temporary setback. I broke the play in rugby, would you believe, of all bloody things. And um, so I got back from that. Uh, a leg break back then would take you a solid year, if not more. Like it was different to nowadays where they'd have you rehabbing after a month, I'd say. And the different casts that they put you on. And, uh, you know, the, I was from ankle to thigh. I had a full length cast on. And... Um, uh, yeah, so it was kind of the guts of a year. In fact, uh, yeah, I, I missed the whole '88 season and started to come back in 
maybe the middle of the league of 89. Uh, and as you know, we lost that final again. We're very good at it. And uh, in 90, I was in, I was in, we, we lost to Galway. And um, uh, that was a shock because we, you know, after we been in the final in 89, we thought we were going to repeat it in 90, maybe go a bit further. And I got myself into great shape for that season. And a week later, after the Galway match, I played a club game for Ballina and really badly broke my other leg. Um, so that had to be operated and pinned. And um, yeah, I, I broke that other leg very badly and pretty much knew at that stage uh, the game was up. And that was that was 1990, so I was just 28. I had just gone 28, which is kind of your prime or whatever. And... Yeah, there was no sense I was going to come back from that one. So I played, I played a bit of club football for quite a few years, maybe up to '94. After that, that's all I ever get. I never played for Mayo again um, after that defeat to Galway. That was the last game I played. As and I did miss it. Like you know, I it was kind of just pulled away from you, um, and I did miss it. There's no doubt about that because you know I I thought we might have another go at winning the All Ireland in in those um, early years of, of the 90s but it, it didn't it didn't happen um and and that's just the way it goes Kian. yeah um after that second leg break how did you find it work wise because you're in the army it's quite a physical job would you say um you have to be physically yeah. able how did you find it yeah well, it was difficult. It was, I mean it was the second leg break was challenging for me in the military because now here I am out again for another year and to compound, there's a good word for a leg break, but to compound the issue, um, I had yet to go overseas because I, I, I wasn't doing overseas service because I wanted to play for Mayo. So I didn't want to be out of the country when Mayo were playing in the summer in the championship. So I had kind of kept putting off my overseas trips. And now I, I was, what, 28 years of age and all my peers had at least one trip done overseas, if not two trips. And here was Muggins with nothing on his CV, if you like. And um, also the fact I was out of work for each time while I was out of work for six, six or seven months, I was just at home with my, my leg up because um, they were bad, bad leg breaks. And, you know, I just that, that was my my routine was lying on the couch with my leg up. And, um, you know, there was no rehab as such. Um, and you couldn't go back to work till you got your cast off. So I think they were probably they were getting a bit fed up of these long long absences as well. Um, so maybe retiring from intercounty football, maybe it was time at that stage, um, because then pretty much immediately I think nineteen ninety two, yeah I got married in nineteen ninety one after I retired, and in ninety two then I went overseas for the first time. So yeah, it probably it was probably coming to an end anyway. I was twenty eight, but I just wish the leg break hadn't. I wish I had chosen my own time to end it, but that's the way it goes. And I want to get on to later on in your career. Uh, you retired at the Army is in 2013. We get that right? Yep. It was, yeah. And then 2014. Um, everyone was an interest in GA has probably asked you this question, and a lot of male people certainly have. So I'll put a different spin on it. Um, why wasn't 2014 the start of the Max Day era managing male? Why? Well, 
And James was, well, it's late 2014, we'll say, at yeah. this stage. For the um, 2015 season. Yeah. Um, well, in, in, in 2013, Ian, um, we we won the club championship in, in Roscommon. Uh, and I was lucky enough to, to manager that. And that was a fantastic experience. So I had a sense that maybe... Maybe I could pull off this inter-county senior management. I was certainly hugely interested in it. I had come through the club, the club management um, process. I managed teams to win county championships and so on. And now I was, I had managed uh, Roscommon minors. I had managed Mayo under twenty ones for four years. Uh, then I'd gone on to you know, a, a, a very high standard club team in St. Bridget's and we had won the All-Ireland. And in my own head, you know, I had done my, if you like, I had ticked the boxes that I felt were required to have a right go at the inter-county scene. And um, and so when there was a vacancy in late 2014 when James, James um, retired uh, for the first time from after the, after the Kerry match, down in Limerick, I uh, I applied for the job and um, yeah, like I mean, I was I was the only applicant, so you'd kind of imagine I should have got the job. Uh, it didn't pan out that way, and I suppose you're asking me really why, and I I can't really answer that question to be truthful. I really can't. Um, other than um, the vision I had, perhaps for the way we wanted to go. Uh, wasn't going to be acceptable. Um, now that would be the easy straight line version of it, but you know there are other. Depending on where you are in the conspiracy theories, there's there's uh, there's other angles to it. My own sense is that my my uh, my face didn't fit it, and that I was coming from perhaps the Sunday game background, maybe a media background, and. I think most people would know I'd be fairly independent and strong-willed about different things. Maybe that didn't fit. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be known as the yes-man, I don't think, to anybody. And there were other angles involved where people were trying to position uh, their own people to get the job. I have no doubt about that. So there was a lot of dishonesty involved in the whole process. A lot of people taking uh, different sides. Certainly, a lot of people speaking out of both sides of their mouth. That's that's that was for sure, and it didn't. It just didn't happen. I was I was ruled out of it fairly quick. It was it was massively disappointing at that time. But it, like it's all ground key, and at this stage, like it's it seems in my life like a long time ago. Like hmm. I, it was horrible at the time. Um, you know, to be rejected by your own people is not is not a very nice thing, uh, and yet I'm. I'm reassured that a lot of, uh, you know, the vast majority of people understood the sort of carry-on that was involved in that process. Um, and and yet you move on. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't ruin your life or anything. Uh, mm. It's just a regret. It's like lots of things that happen in your life, they're just regrets. You wish it had been otherwise. Uh, and life goes on. And, uh, you know, out of that, out of that, um, loss or that refusal or rejection um, I was available to take on the Roscommon job and yeah. you know I'd, I had one of the most magnificent days of my life 
ever was, you know, the day we, we won that, uh, which is a completely different experience to winning it with Mayo. It's a, you know, it's a smaller county. The expectations aren't as high. And, you know, to do what we did, that group of people was was a phenomenal result. So, you know, I would have never got that experience uh, if I had the Mayo experience. Um, so you have to weigh it up and just say, well, look, it wasn't meant to be, and you you, you move on to it. So uh, it was just disappointing. That's all. I you know I I had in my head it was one of the jobs I would have loved to do. I'm very passionate about Mayo. I, I just you know I love everything about our county. Um, I just wish we ran our GA business a bit more, with a bit more transparency and a bit more uh, honesty and a bit more decency, but. Uh, maybe that's happening now. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it is. It has certainly improved. Hmm. But would you still, if you got the phone call, let's say James, hypothetically speaking, James Horn steps down after this season for family reasons or whatever, the Mayo GA chairman calls you up and says, Kevin, I think it's your time. Would you say yes? Well, uh, you did a lot of hy- hypotheticals there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In, in 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 four weeks' time, Key and Mayo could be All Ireland champions, and there'd be no requirement for any of us to ever <laughs> uh, be th- be thinking about it. Uh, you, so the stranger things have happened. I can assure you, mm. um, things have moved on. You see, back in 2014, back in 2014, I was you know in my early 50s. Now I'm I'm at the other end <laughs> of, of that decade, and I'm in my late 50s, and. Uh, you know, the enthusiasm and energy and ideas I had at that time, you know, you have to ask yourself, then are they still there? Then you you look at what's going on with James and his group and, you know, what's going on is really, really good uh, and is likely to, you know, be that group for another two or three years. It brings me very much the wrong side of my late 50s. And uh, so would I have the energy and enthusiasm for it again? And, you know, it's very, very hard to say very hard to say and um and anyway the process is not the chairman rings up and says we want you that's not how the game works there is a there's supposed to be a process where people apply and so on um i'm kind of i'm half hedging and i don't like hedging and the probably you know the answer is i i don't know i don't know i all i'm happy about is currently i'm following a really good mayo team i'm enjoying it uh, uh and i love I love watching the way we play. I love watching the new players that emerge. And of course, you're always thinking, hmm, imagine if I was in charge then, what could I do now? What yeah. could I do differently? But that's kind of a little dreamy game we all play. Um, impossible to say. Impossible to say, Keane. You wouldn't rule it out, though? I'm sure, we'd, I don't think we'd rule anything out in life. You know, who knows what's <laughs> ahead of us in the next, in the next, uh, you're 15 years of age, 16 years of age. You have no idea what's coming down the track that you could. You know, there could be fantastic opportunities. So don't mm. ever rule anything out. That's my strong advice to you. Um, wait up and see what happens. It's good to hear. Then in 2016, we became the, ma- the Roscommon manager, as you said. Um, what's it like to become the manager of the local enemy, as they like to call them here in Mayo? Well, you see, I look at it completely differently. Uh, I don't see them as the local enemy at all. I- I've never seen enemies or... or you know, there's never a crowd I hate. I don't like that. But word. in footballing terms, do you know what I mean? Well, rivals is as far as I'd, I'd, I'd be going. But bear in mind, Kian, my perspective, I'm, I've lived longer in Roscommon than I have in Mayo. My three children are Roscommon children. 
I've had a great life in Roscommon, you know. Mm. Um, so managing Roscommon was there was no sense that I was managing rivals or the enemy or anything like that. Uh, if anything, I was very thankful, very grateful, very privileged that Roscommon chose me to manage them. Because bear in mind, only a few short years earlier, Mayo had rejected my application, if you like. Um, and managing a, a county senior team, no matter what county it is, this is this is this is very very true, is a massive uh, privilege to be to be asked by a county to take charge of what is their flagship representation. Really, you know, this is what. This is the. This is what represents the county, whether you're a GA fan or not. Everybody knows the county team is that's they're your colours, they're the lads that are chosen to go out and represent represent county and and be the best, be the best that that county wants to be and 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 the values that they want to they want to demonstrate and show and to be chosen then to be the one that's going to manage that and lead that is, is an incredible privilege. So I'm, I've said it lots of times, you know, I am forever grateful for those, the, for the trust that they put in, put in me to give me that job. Um, because I'd never done senior management previously. So it was kind of a shot in the dark perhaps for them. And yet, uh, I think we had great times together. You know, of course we lost things as well, but we had, we had a few fantastic days that sustained, the two or three years together, um, no, no doubt about that. And I have nothing but outstanding memories of my period there. I made lots of friends, um, and I never saw it as you know. Of course, I hated playing Mayo when that came around, but at the same time, you park it because it's your team is in the other dressing room. Like when we were playing Mayo, I hated playing Mayo, but did I want to beat Mayo out the gate? Of course, you did. That's the nature of it. Um, of course, we never could, but that didn't mean we weren't trying. You know, um, that didn't mean we weren't we weren't trying. So we we gave that we give that a great shot. We had a, we had a lot of fun, um, and as I say, I have nothing but good memories looking back on it. I just wish we'd won a bit more. Um, uh, but I think we got we got out of it, you know, as a group, but just about as much as we were going to get out of it. But you achieved some amazing things there. I mean, that Connacht win over Galway absolutely hammering them. I mean, it was uh, it was a brilliant spectacle. It just if you if you park the partisanship and you watch it as a GEA fan, it was a fantastic spectacle. And I'm sure a lot of people watched the Fly in the Wall documentary that was made about that. How did you find that documentary? Looking back on those moments, looking back on the hard work that went in to that season. Well, that's. That's very nice of you to say um, about about the game, and I think like I think you're right. I think it was, you know, uh, we played it the way we wanted to play it. We played it the way we had to play it because we had so many good footballers. Uh, we weren't the big physical team. We had to move that ball quickly, and we knew we had to. And whatever scoring chances came our way, we knew we were going to have to get a lot of them, and we knew we were going to have to get goal. We went after them and got them, and we. You know, I know the management team afterwards, I know we were very satisfied that we won it the way we wanted to win it. We didn't win it with 15 men behind the ball or going over and back around the field wondering, you know, could we win this game five points to four or something. That, that wasn't what we were about. Um, the whole the, the whole shape of it, uh, 
I suppose if you think about uh, what we achieved, where us coming from, you know, I I, I think we had it might have been fifty years in that since Roscommon had won that fixture down in Galway. So that's that was where we were coming from, and to go in and and win it by whatever we won it by was a fantastic achievement by those players. Like it was outrageous. Um, and when I look back on it all now from this remove, at the time when we were we we, we agreed to do that documentary, um, you know, those parts of me saying you must have been mad in the head, but when I look back on it now, I'm so glad that those lads that were involved have have a history to their year with us and they can show that to their kids and their grandchildren about that mad year of 2017 when we were absolutely useless and everybody wanted to bury us and somehow we rose from the ashes to win the whole bloody thing in the province and did it with a fair degree of style, I hope. Um, the the origins of the documentary, again, uh, highlights, Keen the, the sort of pressure we were under. Um, financially, the board was in was in dire straits, and uh, we made a nice few pounds for the for the fund by agreeing to the documentary. Uh, in fact, uh, and this is true, the the money we received for the documentary paid for our hotel accommodation for the replay against Mayo. Otherwise, we'd have had to come up on a bus that day. That's how tight things have got. And and I don't that I don't say that uh, with any uh, any degree of of uh, malice or anything. That's just where we were. You know, things were very very tough uh, on the county finances at the time, uh, and the money was very very welcome for the documentary. You know, I'm not talking massive money, but it was it was money that could get us get us to Dublin the night before the the, the quarterfinal replay against Mayo, which was obviously very important. Um, but the documentary. Is is that's what it was. I mean, we didn't. Um, there were there were no there were no obstacles for the crew. We let them uh, film, and I didn't even know they were filming and taping half the time because they're in the background doing it. And it was very well put together, and it captured where we were. I mean, it was very obvious that we were under huge pressure and struggling at the beginning. I, don't, I think we won one league match or something like that, and you know there was a lot of people rattling for us. So I, but what I'm delighted with is that we have a record of it. I think it was wasn't it in a couple of episodes, two or three episodes, and um, that we have we we have that evidence, that record there um, for all those lads that were involved. Like football life passes very quickly. Like I wish I would love if I had something like that from my playing days back in the 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 eighties, the the early eighties, um, and in in time to come. I'm sure they'll meet up in small groups and uh, play a bit of a pack and have a few beers and laugh at it at the at the stresses and strains and then the ultimately, of course, it all finished out great because the glory of winning the the province was was um, was the was the capping moment of the year was the was the top moment of the year for us. But that was great, you know. I I, I have no of effect now that we won it. I've absolutely no regrets. I'm not sure how I'd feel. How I feel if it went otherwise, but that was the risk we took. You look, our backs were to the ball. We'd have agreed to about anything at that stage, and uh, yeah, it all it, it all worked out fine. And there's a record of the work there, and I think there's a lot of good laughs in it. And there's uh, 
there's a lot of very nice moments in it yeah. and it's captured it's there now on video uh, for all time and I think it's something when they're middle in uh, they'll be able to look back on and uh, say well look I was part of that that's the day I won my Connacht medal and uh, what a great day it was and near the memory you take from it like just the sheer glory of winning it like it's an amazing mm. feeling to be the champion of your province um, especially when it's against the head you know when you 90% of people are in 99 I'd say percent of people yeah. gave us no chance going up and we come back with the cup having hammered the favourites it's, it's, it was a great great day great feeling but some of the team talks from you were just amazing you know when you look back <clears throat> at the documentary it was pure passion it was emotional I think they were some of the highlights from the documentary how did you look back on that? Well, yeah, I ah, some of those kind of rants are when you look back on them, you'd be a bit embarrassed um, about about some of them. Um, yeah, it's uh, like I I try to say calm enough, but I suppose there was a lot at stake, and maybe your voice rises a little bit. My my children said there was a little bit too much cursing going on. <laughs> probably right. Um, the like it's it's probably a part of the game. I, I don't know, but I, I, I'd imagine it's probably part of the game that doesn't exist in a lot of teams anymore, that it's a much calmer environment. Yeah. But I have always personally felt it's no harm to jizz up the whole the whole atmosphere in a dressing room and get people, um, you know, give them a sense of how you're feeling about it hmm. uh, and what the requirement is. Now, back in my day, you know, that happened quite regularly. It was a different sort of a challenge. Um I don't know how if people were analysing it in great great detail, they might say like that's it's kind of wasted energy. Um, I don't know. I couldn't answer that. Um, all I know that's is that's how I felt at the time, especially certainly at half time in the in the um, in the Galway game. I was I was so anxious that we'd get anxious, you know, as because we had a very young team, and I, I had been there before. With other, you know, as a pair and you know, a, a, a guy on emerging teams, and I had seen games that could have been won if you drove on, but once you started getting a little bit edgy about it and took a step back, games were lost that could have been won. And I knew we were in a strong position, and I just wanted to get that that sense over to the team. And I I felt that the best way to do it was to really uh, up the audio. Uh, and um, let them know that this could all work out. That they had to believe in me. That to believe in 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 our management, and that we we knew what we were talking about. This is what it was going to take. And if you know, if you follow these little steps, we can do it. And I wanted to get that across to them. And maybe I was a bit more heightened than I might normally be. Like certainly, a lot of friends afterwards <laughs> they didn't recognize me. Didn't. Didn't think I was like that at all, and I'm not generally. But you know, you get yeah. passionate about things, Keen, and you want things very, very badly. You know, your emotions can 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 take over, and we wanted that very, very badly. I, you know, we were willing to, to 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 injure ourselves to to get what we wanted. We just needed that so badly, and you know, I wanted everybody to understand that that would you know we'd have to go out there and you know hurt ourselves to get it. Yeah, exactly. And I w- just want to turn to the punditry and then I go on to a quick fire round. One question on the punditry. Um, sure. Sure. What is the key to a good pundit? And also, what is the day in the life of a Sunday game pundit? Um, 
Well, what's it? What's what's the key to a good pundit? I think definitely be well informed and have your work done. That would be my big advice to anybody that wants to. Now, how do you do that? Well, you better be a keen reader, and you know, be interested in reading about things. Um, and the more you read, the different contexts you will see that there's different angles to these discussions. And my somebody's opinion about Keen McNicholas as a footballer will differ slightly to somebody else's. And you have to try and figure, you know, well, where do you sit on this? What is the best? Uh, what, what, how good is he actually? Um, so I would say be a very, very keen reader. Um, be able to separate nonsense and hype from, you know, the evidence of your eyes. So how do you do that? Look at a lot of tapes. Look at look look at people in action. Look at a lot of games. That's how you inform yourself. Um, you have to understand the standards, and that's why pundits, generally speaking, not not exclusively, but generally speaking, are either managers or players, um, because you have to understand the standard. You have to know, you know, that a performance by a fella that looks brilliant in a club match won't necessarily add up to a hill of beans in a, in a county match it's just a different gravy different standard um so you have to understand that uh so well informed for sure i think level-headed uh that's the type of punditry i like anyway even though i think there is a place for fun and and a little bit of controversy uh that you know i i think there is a place for that it, it, it's a it's moving into the entertainment department maybe but still is a place for it and um uh, I would say, in an overall sense, rule number one is that you have to be fair. You have to be fair, even sometimes to a team or a player that you may not f- really admire. You have to be fair to them. You can't have an agenda. I think that's and if if you have, by the way, you'll be found out very very quickly because you let yourself down somewhere. Someone will, will catch on to your inconsistency. Um, so I think if you're consistent, if you tell the truth, and you're well informed. You don't have an agenda. You can have a you know you can have a decent career uh, in, in punditry. Um, so yeah, that was your first question, wasn't it? Yeah, the other one was the day in the life. Um, well, it, it depends, Key, on what your what your job is that day. So the two jobs, the two different jobs. Well, I had three different jobs that I might have would be co-commentator, live studio, which means on the day we'll say in the studio in Crow Park. Are then the nighttime studio. So they're the three different taskings that would face you. So I'll take the fir- first one very briefly. The the, the co-com. Uh, so you you get your tasking on a Monday or a Tuesday. You know that we could have it a few weeks earlier. You know you're doing Mayo Dublin, which I'm going to do on on Saturday night. So you know you start making sure you know everybody on the Dublin team. You know their first name, their second name. You know how they run. You know the gatch of them. You know their haircut. You know what clubs they play for, and you know and you know what their season has been like up to date. You might even look at the color of their boots. That can help you for an injury when you don't see a number on a fella's back, but you can see his boot maybe protruding beyond the doctor or someone. And uh, you know you can narrow it down to well, yeah, that looks like McNicholas, all right. They're his boots. Um, so having that and knowing what you know the some history of the game. Uh, recent statistics for the player in the championship, what he's been scoring to date, or, you know, who who took the penalty, who's like the penalty awarded. Make sure you know the penalty taker on the other team, you know, that if it's a male penalty, you know, you're able to say, right, I don't know who's likely to step up, you know, 
don't say that Horiko Hora is likely to step up. So have that sort of work done, have all that boxed off, and then that's your, your crutch, if you like. That's the stuff that you know, that's all there, ready to call on when you need it. And what the listener then wants you is to give them a little bit of added value, explain why something happened. You know, it could be to do with the referee. Why did he give that call? And, you know, I would very much like to be able to tell the viewer that. Now, you can't always, you don't know exactly why things, but, you know, again, that would necessitate knowing the rules very well. Um, a fellow goes down with a hamstring, you know, understand that he's had two hamstring injuries already this year, and that's why it could be linked. All those little tidbits that the listener won't necessarily know, or the viewer won't necessarily know. You're giving them a little bit of added value. You'd arrive, so we'd say the match is at what the, the game this weekend is six o'clock, isn't it? It is, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'd arrive maybe half three to Crow Park, park up and go into the stadium with my bag of tricks and uh, get past the COVID checks and all that and then go up to, uh, well, I go into the outside broadcast unit first and have a chat with the producer and the director and see was there any special requirements for the day? Would I be doing a piece to camera before the match or am I going straight up to commentary? And I go up to commentary and Gerald will be there, Jerry Canning or Dara or Marty, whoever I'm working with. And uh, we'll have a chat about the game. We'll have been chatting during the week. He'll have rang me or I'll have rang him and be exchanging ideas or information. Especially if Mayo are playing now. Obviously, I might know a little bit more that's going on compared to the, the commentator. But the commentators are incredibly well informed. They do meticulous research. Because obviously, they have to have a lot of filling uh, fillers if a guy is injured or, you know, if a fella gets a, a score, if it's a record score, he, you know, he needs to know it's a record score, all that sort of stuff. Um, and you go through the game, you keep your eye on the game, you get through it, it's over, you pack your bag, and you go home. And that's the day in the life, the co-com. So for me, I'll, I'll, I'll leave Roscommon, I guess, around 11 o'clock on Saturday morning, and I'm finished in Grove Park at 9 o'clock that night. And, uh, but... If I'm doing the night show, it's a it's a much uh, tougher game because, excuse me, you could be analysing six matches, whatever was on that weekend. Uh, so usually it's about at 12 o'clock in the day until 12 o'clock at night. Um, the live show goes out around half nine. It's over around half 11. Get your makeup off, get back into the car. And usually I'm from the West, so I would go back to a hotel, go to bed, get up early the next morning, scoot home. So the weekend could be, you know, I could leave, this weekend I leave Roscommon at, well, I leave Mayo first, I'm on holidays here, <laughs> I have to get home to Roscommon, and spend a night there, Friday night there at home probably, I'm gone Cockcrow Saturday, and I won't get uh, Saturday morning for the Mayo match, and I'm doing the Sunday night show, which will be Mayo, Dublin, heavy, I guess, and then I'll be home uh, well on Monday when, when uh, I wake up Monday, I have to get straight into into the article for the Irish Times on Tuesday. So I'll probably leave Dublin around 2 o'clock on Monday and home trust coming around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, something like that. And that's typically the way it goes. And that, that day in RT is a busy day now. When I get in at 12 on Sunday in a few days' time, we'll be chopping up the match from the night before, picking out four or five pieces of analysis. I'll probably do three the Gucci will do three. Who else is on with me? Um, 
Gushy McConville is on with me as well. Hmm. So we'll all take about two or three pieces of an, an analysis together. You know, everyone will have watched the game. We'll all have a different interest. And I might want to highlight, I don't know, what we see. Uh, Rob Henley, I might want to analyze his kickouts. Hmm. So, you know, I have to get through his 30 kickouts and see how they all went and see which ones I want to pick out, the ones that went well, the ones that didn't go so well. And if anything major happened off a bad one, that type of thing. Machine McConville might want to go and look at the Dublin kickout. Hmm. Harry might want to look at the corner forward for Dublin or whatever. And then we'll all agree on what we're doing. And those pieces will be cut by, by, uh, by an editor. Um, and, uh, reduced probably to about 45 seconds a piece. And off we go. We'll watch the ladies game on Sunday and we'll watch the All Ireland under 20 game on, on Sunday because we'll be, we'll be talking about that on Sunday night. Then around six o'clock, half six, seven o'clock, there'll be a production meeting. Where they go through, the the editor will go through the whole, the whole two hours of the show. In fact, this this weekend is a very short show; it's only an hour, I think. And uh, he'll say, you know, this is the map we're starting with. Kane, you're doing the first piece. Kevin's doing the second piece. Oshin, you're doing the third piece. What are you talking about, lad? And Des will be there, or Joanne, whoever's doing the show. And you'll be saying, well, the first piece I'm talking about, Des, will be Rob Henley's kickouts, and he'll take a note of that. So he'll. He now has a flag to raise when he's talking. You know, he'll know that, Kevin, you're going to have a look at the Mayo goalie or whatever. And off it goes. Do you understand? So that's called yeah. kind of the running order. And you go through the running order in fine detail. Um, and then when we're all agreed at half seven, quarter to eight, how the show is going to go. Um, and then you go off and put on your, put on your glad rags and get makeup on and off down to the studio. And half nine, the music rolls and, the program starts and it's a live show generally speaking 99% of the time it's a live show and usually it's a two hour show so it's long you know you stay very focused and concentrated for the two hours you don't want to go daydreaming or you you know mm. you, you lose the, the running yourself um, but it's brilliant I mean it's fantastic it's it's a, it's a it's a privilege it's just brilliant to be on that show it's hugely recognizable as you know nationally so people watch it and they're interested in what you're saying, generally speaking. As, you know, I know the Mayo crowd will be watching. Imagine if we win on Saturday. They'll be glued to the TV <laughs> Sunday night. And, um, Record they, ratings. interested in your opinion. They may not have, <laughs> Yeah, they may not. Yeah, but they'll, they'll be... Obviously, I'm from Mayo, so they'll be particularly interested in perhaps my opinion. Whether they agree with it or not, they'll be interested in it. And, uh, and there'll be great excitement if they're to win it. And sometimes when they lose, they like to have a look at it as well. Just see what went wrong. Do they agree with what everyone else is saying? So it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant program. The Sunday game is just, it's a national icon, really. It's just, a, it's a great show to be part of. I'm, I keep saying privileged, but I know I am. It certainly is. And I'll just finish off the quick fire round because you've been very kind with your time. Um, okay. Who's your favourite teammate? Well, you see, of course, I was from, Ballina. So I, I suppose Liam really, Liam McHale would have been, I'd been very close to him. Um, I, I, I loved being around Noel Durkin. I always company. Uh, he was a forward as well, of course. Anthony Finnerty, of course, was great fun. Um, Peter Ford, I always admired as a player. Trevor Flanagan was, gosh, that, that team, team I was part of, I was, I was, I just loved being part of that team. They were a great group of fellas. Oman, I was obviously in the army with as well at the same time. We drove everywhere together. 
Uh, well, he did. He did. My, my cars were usually crashed. <laughs> he, uh, he did most of the driving. Um, they were a great bunch of Fatigica Gallon, Willie Joe Ash. They were just lovely lads to be around. And uh, I loved their company. Um, but I guess, you know, uh, Liam, Liam, uh, Liam's married to my, my uh, sister as well. So he was going out with her during those times, I guess. Mm. And uh, yeah, we were very close because we were playing a lot of club football together and winning and losing things there. So um, in Mayo, I would say, yeah, Liam probably. Was. Then at club level, my own brother was in the other corner. We were generally the two corner forwards for Ballina. So he was he was a great teammate as well. He was a, he was a very, very, very tidy footballer. And uh, I loved playing with him because he had a great idea of what I might be open he might do or he might have a good idea of what I was thinking it's chemistry of there and, well I mean you'd, you'd hope there would be some of your brothers <laughs> and, uh, sharing the same bed for a long a long number of years <laughs> and uh, the um, yeah so that that uh, they were yeah that would that would have been it but I my my memories of, of that Mayo team I've very fond memories of of, uh, of that Mayo team Johnny Monaghan and these sort of fellas, they were they were great lads. Frank Noon, I'm leaving them all out now. I hate doing that. But Frank was Frank was great crack as well. I, I we we had a very eclectic bunch of people involved in the eighties, and uh, we knew how to have a bit of fun as well. And uh, they were all they were all um, they were they were all good lads. They were all really good lads. Hmm. What is your favorite pastime? My favorite pastime, um, I'd say reading, perhaps. Hmm. Reading and it's a big thing, you know. Anyone, I know you're you're very passionate about the media game, and I say that's the number one rule: read. And when you have a lot read, read a bit more. Um, I, I I like music. I I've yeah I loved music when I when I was young, but I got too busy for it somewhere, and uh, kind of lockdown. I've really got back back into music again. Uh, I love listening to music. Can't couldn't play the comb now. I'm useless at it. I don't have any <laughs> instrument or anything. But um, I love music. Um, I love uh, yeah, reading. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'd say that would be my my big passion. Um, books or, you know, good newspaper articles. Not necessarily sport. I'm interested in politics and and history. Mm. Uh, yeah, all, all that. I'd say that is my my pastime. Yeah, that's what's that's favorite, favorite book? Pastime. Oh, Jenny Max, my favorite book. Wait, let's see. Standing in Gaps, James O'Rourke, I'm reading at the moment. I'm taking way too long to read the bloody thing because <laughs> every time I get a few chapters done, something else, some young fella from Swinford rings you to do a podcast. Uh, I'll, uh, I will, I'll get it finished on this holiday now. And it's, it's, uh, it's a really good book. It's a very funny book. Mm. And yes, it's um, quite poignant in its own way. Uh, and I've met Seamus a few times. He played for Leitrim on a day that I played for Mayo. I think he was finishing and I was starting, and we all we, we were chatting about that one one night in a pub where I met him. But he's a he's a brilliant um, he's a brilliant playwright, an absolutely brilliant playwright. And um, I've been at all his plays, I think, and one man shows and so on and so forth. But his book is very good, and that's what I'm reading at the moment. Very good. Uh, your biggest advice in life to young people? Oh, well, I would say. Try and pick a career that you're happy in. I, I think I, I can't think of anything worse for someone to be going to work to a job that they don't like. I, mm. I see that as a life sentence almost. And it doesn't have to be a high-flying career. I think I've often said to leave inserts when I'm talking to them, um, you know, if you want to be 
I don't want to degrade anybody's profession or anybody's livelihood, but say if you, if you want to be an apprentice, you want to be a carpenter or a plumber, you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything uh, fancy. But if you're going to be an electrician or whatever you're going to be, be the best one you can be. Be the best one in, 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 in Swinford or be the best one in Roscommon or Ballina, and you'll never be short of work. Um, and have a high standard for your work. And learn your trade properly. Whatever you're doing, learn it properly. Don't be doing it half-arsed. Figure out how to do how to do the thing properly. Um, I think it's very important that people get out of bed early, dress properly, and be where they're supposed to be. At the time they agreed with somebody that they'd be there. I think that's very important. So, you know, make sure you have your word and people understand that if Keen McNicholas said he'd be there at 9 o'clock, Rest assured, he will be there, and you'll be properly, uh, uh, properly informed. You'll have read whatever you needed to read. You'll understand whatever you needed to understand to do the day's work or whatever's ahead of you, and properly dressed for the event, whether that's in your work clothes or in your best suit, whatever's going on that day. I think that's very important for people uh, to have their word and not to let, let 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 somebody down if they have an appointment. I think that's very important. Um. And, you know, always give a good account to yourself because, you know, you, that old expression, you don't get a, a second chance to make a good first impression. Um, you know, be, stand up your full height and give a good account to yourself. And tonight's my first time to meet you now. And it's obvious to me, nothing, nothing's going to get in your way. You're going to, you're going to do very well in this game. You're going about it the right way. You have a great passion for it and show that passion, develop that passion. Um, but in a nice, mannerly, humble way. You don't have to stand on top of anybody. You can do it incrementally, bit by bit, and people will respect you for that uh, uh, much better. So that would be that would be my advice to people. Find something they're passionate about and go after it. Very good advice. Uh, tea or coffee? Tea or coffee? Coffee. Coffee, what type? sugar. Latte. Latte. Standard. Uh, standard. standard. Uh, who is... In your opinion, the best pundit. Ooh. Apart from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait till I see. Who's the best pundit? Like I probably Karen Whelan. I'm going to go with. He's yeah. been around a long time with me, um, and I think he's a very good pundit. Now there's a lot of good pundits, and some of the young lads coming in now are very, very good as well. Um, but I think in an overall, like Cullum is great. Cullum work is marvelous. Um, be a little bit more old school. Obviously, he's a bit, a little bit older than the rest of us. Um, not much, might, but a bit. <laughs> and I admire him greatly. Um, Pat's plan is a different type of pundit. It'll be quite entertaining. Uh, Joe Brolly in his time was another different type. Um, uh, Sean Kavanagh and Oshin and, and these guys are the emerging lads. Eamon Fitzmaurice is very good, like Eamon Fitzmaurice, but in an overall sense, my favourite would be would be Kieran. We, I've done a lot of shows with him. He's incredibly fair, uh, and you know a lot of the time he's under pressure to talk about Dublin, uh, and you know you could waffle on about Dublin. They're so brilliant, but he, I think he's very fair about Dublin. He always gives a great uh, summary of where they are, and uh, I would say he is he is RT's best pundit. Yeah. Um, what is your favourite TV series at the moment? TV series, about, I, I like Greeland in the Years. I like that. Um, the the favorite 
series. I'm not watching much TV at all, um, yeah. Keen, to tell you the truth. I haven't the time for it. Um, because I'm watching a lot of football matches now, the more a lot of tapes every uh, free, 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 free hour I have, especially now we're getting up towards the All Ireland. I'm like, I'm mm. back watching early National League games and, and, and watching those. Um, oh, cheeks. The news, I suppose, is the one I'm watching the whole time. <laughs> the news, really. How boring is that? Um, but I, I have watched a lot of the, um, a lot of stuff on Netflix. So much that one bloody thing has merged into another. Um, a lot of those bloody murder series. I'm watching a lot of them. That's sad, but I am. Uh, I liked. Uh, there was um, a very good documentary on. I think it was BBC Time. Sean Bean was in it. Time it was a three-part series. I really enjoyed that. About a guy going to prison for a drink driving offence. Um, that was very good. I enjoyed that. Okay. Um, if you're to have any five dinner guests dead or alive, who would you invite? Five. Five. Yeah. Is that what you? Oh, good God! Five. I'm giving you a bit of option here. Five. Um, wait, let's see. Wait, let's see. So, the, well, I would. Um, I'd love to meet Mark from Dire Straits. Uh, and if not him, uh, wait, let's see. Johnny Cash. I'd like to meet Johnny Cash and have a chat with him. Love to meet Elvis Presley. That sounds mad now, doesn't it? But I would. Um, Talking me football. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, love to meet Michael Parkinson, uh, yeah. the the um, the UTV BBC, uh, the the gay burn of of the BBC, if you like. Yeah. And um, who else do I really admire? Oh, that's 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 about it. That, that um, I, I, I there's no one in particular I want to go to dinner with except my wife and a few other <laughs> few of my friends or meet up with on an island. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I probably would like to go out to dinner with like Lionel Messi and just have a chat with him and see how yeah. to, how did he just do it? <laughs> you know, how, 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 did, how did he do it? I'd like to have a chat with Jimmy White or something. I'd like, you know, the mm-hmm. snooker player. I, as you can see now, I'm, I always edge towards the, the headers. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd like to see what, what made him tick. And, uh, yeah. why did he, why did he never win the world snooker championship? I'd like to figure that out with him. Yeah. You know? Bit of a Mayo story. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Describe yourself in three words. Reasonable. Careful. Hmm. Definitely. I've I've had a I've had a great innings. I've had a, I, I've had a lot of lovely things happen to me. And hopeful. Hopeful. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm hopeful for the next ten years. I I'm stay healthy and a lot of things I'd still like to get done. Uh, in in my own life in in in, in sport, yeah, yeah. So I am. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Brilliant, Kevin. Been a pleasure. You've okay, we went Kian. way over time. Maybe. <laughs>